Jeremiah uh, 25 and 32, listen to what the scripture says here. Jeremiah is prophesying and preaching to a group of people much like today who don't want to hear the word of God. There was many false prophets and false teachers uh, going out and prophesying that good times were ahead and everything was going to be okay. Jeremiah comes with a message and they really hate him for it. Uh, much like today, you preach a message and, buddy, you, you get on the internet and you'll see just how many people, they'll scathe you. They, God's a God of love. God, God's this. God's that. And they're truths that they have. But it's the, nobody wants to hear truth anymore, right? They want to hear their own truth. They don't want to hear God's truth of what God's Word says. And listen to what Jeremiah says at a time just like today we're living in. He's prophesying in a time much like that. And here's what he begins to say in verse uh, 32. He's telling Israel something's coming. He's a weeping prophet. He knows something is coming and his heart is broken. He can see in the future. He can see what God's about to do. Seventy years of captivity are going to come on this land and he knows it. He knows it and he's trying to warn the people. He's trying to tell them what's about to occur. You're, you're, your family's going to be ripped apart. You're going to be, the, 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 the temple is going to be destroyed. The land that you love, we're going to be uprooted. The, the, the land that Joshua led us into, the land of promise that God promised for us, we're going to be led out of this land. Our families are going to be divided. They're going to march us out like, like captives uh, into this other land. And Jeremiah is trying to warn the people. His heart is broken. And he's in tears, he's weeping. And all of a sudden, here's one of the things he says right here. And they just, they hate it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster shall go forth from nation to nation. And a great whirlwind shall be uh, raised up from the farthest parts of the earth. Looks like today to me, we're seeing just nation after nation just coming. Venezuela now this last week decides they're going to rise up and want to take another country right next. I mean, man, the fuse has been lit. Ukraine. Russia. I mean, everywhere people are trucking for power and position and resources and deciding, hey, we're going to invade you. We're going to invade you. And the fuse has been lit. And, 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 and now godless men are driving the ship into places where we don't want to go or where we don't know where we're going. And all of a sudden, and, and it's much like that time in which Gerald, we said history is cyclical, man. It repeats itself. And so you can learn from these examples of what's going to come or what we need to avoid or how we need to live in this last hour. And that's exactly what Je Jeremiah was, uh, was, was prophesying to these, the nation at this time in Israel. And his message was unpopular. And the prosperity preachers, the false teachers were out there. Prophets were popular at the time. They could feel the, 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 the screens if they had had them then. They, they feel the internet. They're the, they're the latest ones that with, all the, with all the likes on whatever it is today. Instagram, TikTok, whatever the, the social media. If you be careful, if that's where you're going to get your, uh, uh, you can use it. Jeremy was sharing something about him getting on there and using it for good. But let me tell you something: the most popular stuff probably is not going to find its way onto those platforms, right? You're probably not going to hear a lot of truth that's going to be liked or get pushed out to the forefront in those places, but you're going to find the, the, the others that are going to find their way into 50 billion likes out there because of what they're prophesying. Good times are ahead, giving you tickling ears what they want to hear. And so, uh, so Jeremiah would have been pushed way back. He could have barely got his stuff onto the, into the Internet while all the other prophets were out there saying good times are ahead. If you listen to that fool Jeremiah, 
Jeremiah, he's a nut. He's a nutcase. You got 50 people over here prophesying against that. And you got one lone warrior. Who do you believe? Who you think's right? Who you, are you going to go with the crowd? Or are you going to go with that nutcase over there who's prophesying doom and gloom? Nobody wants to hear that stuff, man. Keep it in the closet. And keep, keep the good times going over here. Things have happened. This is the way things have always been. And so all of a sudden, uh, God is, is, is sending, though, a, 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 now He's going to send a judgment, a mercy judgment. Listen, God is not out to get us. God is a God of mercy. He wants to extend mercy. And even in His judgment, they, it is redemptive. And that's what He's about to send on the land at this time. And once again, the people don't want to hear truth at this time. Uh, a friend, listen, a friend should always tell truth. Right? If you saw a friend going into destruction, don't you think if you're a real friend, you ought to warn them? And that's what Jeremiah was. He was a prophet that was a friend to the people of Israel. He was a friend. Even though he wasn't accepted as a friend, he was a friend to the people of Israel because he prophesied and told the truth. That's something I appreciate about my wife. My wife will tell you the truth, man. And she'll do it in love, and she cares about you enough. I've had a hard time because in the past, I've always wanted to be, be a people pleaser and be accepted and be liked. So that's been an area of struggle that I've had to grow in as a believer. But Marcy has always, she can tell you the truth and, and because she loves you enough to say, man, you're headed to destruction. That's how Jeremiah was. He was a friend to the people, and, and he was broken. It broke him to have to do it. It broke him to have to take and tell what he was going to have to tell but he told it and he began to say calamity's coming calamity is coming upon you Babylon is going to invade this country it's going to invade the country they're going to come and, and, and they're going to assimilate when, when Babylon took a nation in that time what they would do is Wayne they would assimilate the nation into them to make them stronger that's what they would do. They would, they would take and assimilate, take the young men, the smartest men, the brightest men, the, 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 the brightest women, and they would bring them into their culture to make their, their empire bigger and to make their empire stronger. And that's what they did. That's what they went in and got Daniel. They got the choicest young men first. They got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those men are taken at the time while, 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 uh, uh, while he's prophesying this. It's coming in phases. And these, these, these bright young people were taken in that first wave. They're taken out of there. And they're taking them in to assimilate it. You remember they laid them aside for a couple of years there to prepare them. Get them to know the Chaldean language. Get them to know the culture. Change their names. Get them, get them prepared for the king. And then we're going to put them into service into our empire. Because we want the smartest scientists. We want the smartest uh, teachers. We want the smartest professors. We want the smartest. We want our empire to be the greatest on the face of the earth and so that's what's going on into this day and Jeremiah says it's coming, calamity is coming Babylon's going to come, they're going to assimilate the nation into themselves and, and the people are saying shut up, that's not what we want to hear, that's just not what we want to hear, another doom and gloom preacher, oh great here comes brother Brad with another one of these messages, right and it's so easy for society to become religious. And that's what took place at that time. And that's what takes place in the good old Bible Belt in the South. We just become good religious people. Come to church. Go through the motions. Don't read our Bibles. Don't pray. Just go through. But I'm a Christian. I'm a great Christian. Because my mama, because I'm a Baptist. 
Right? That's the great answer when you come into the South. Hey, do you know the Lord? I'm a Baptist. I get, oh, you want to see my, my baptism card? Hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, my, my mama is fifth generation Pentecostal, right? We speak in tongues, right? We do all of these things. And so that they, they were, that's what was taking place in this day too, is, is, is they were religious. And so it was easy to gather to themselves preachers uh, to tickle their ears and tell them what they wanted to say. Just like what's going on in Jesus' day with the Pharisees of that time where, where you preach what is popular and what is accepted. And when anybody comes against that, then it's, then it's lamb blasted. But Jeremiah is an honest man of God. He's there. He's preaching a difficult message because he understood the barbarity of the empire that's coming against them. He understood the destitution that was going to fall on this nation called Israel. He understood how broken this country was going to be and, 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 and what, how it was going to be destroyed, how the temple was going to be destroyed, how the walls were going to be laid in ruin. He, it's Psalms 137 says like this, They sang by the rivers of Babylon, and there we wept. We remembered Zion. We, we, we remembered what? They carried us into captivity. And they required of us a song. But they said, how can we sing a song in a strange land? You want us to sing the old spiritual songs. But how in the world? No, we've hung our harps on the trees when we came in here. And there's no more song in our hearts and in our lives. And that's what he began to say. This broken preacher amongst a, a religious uh, a, a people is what is going on here. And after 605 B.C., after he's proclaimed this for a long time, the Bible tells us that right before 605 B.C., that Egypt, uh, that, that Israel started turning their eyes away from, Egypt, from, from God. And they began to depend on, they went down and started depending on Egypt for their help, which is a type of going into the world. It'd be like you turning God, oh God, I gotta get a job. Oh man, my children are in trouble. Oh man, I got cancer diagnosis. And rather than you you saying, uh, uh, turning to God, you completely turn away to go get help from somebody else because you don't trust and believe in God anymore. And that's what Israel does here. So they get scared. They go down and make an alliance with Egypt, which is a type of the world. And then all of a sudden, though, Babylon defeats Egypt. And here now, Israel is uh, natural, their natural help fail. It'd be like all of us. Do you think God's going to let their natural help besides him succeed? No. He lets it crumble. Babylon takes Egypt, the one who's protecting and helping in them. They're out there vulnerable now. And so where does Babylon go next? Jerusalem. And now after 605 B.C., Babylon defeats them, turns towards Jerusalem. Disaster is beginning to spread. 1 Thessalonians 5.3, this is what all the prophets were saying. What were they saying? Peace, safety. But when they cry peace and safety, what? Then sudden destruction shall come upon them as a woman with child, as a woman with labor. Any mom in this room knows that as the time of destruction gets nearer, you can cry peace and safety all you want. There comes a point where the labor gets so intense and it starts moving so rapidly that a baby is coming. And that's what begins to happen in this time when they're beginning to cry peace and safety, then sudden destruction. And I think if we're honest, folks... I think if we look around us, the foundations of civilization are crumbling. I think if you'll just be honest with yourself, 
And you'll just start to take a look that the, 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 that's the glue holding society together is beginning to fall apart. Now, we know ultimately God holds everything together, so nothing's going to fall apart. It's just kind of falling into place. But let me tell you something. But, but, but building a society apart from God, we can tell that it's on a sinking sand foundation. And the, the sand is beginning to shift. And the storms are beginning to rage. And things are beginning to fall apart. Everything you've ever put your trust in apart from God. Institutions, universities, all of the, our universities are teaching our kids there is no God. They are hanging Palestinian flags outside of them, folks. The enemy is not outside of your walls trying to get in. They're inside the country. They're beeping horns in Chicago. They're hanging them off of buildings saying we are decolonizing the U.S. and we're taking over. The foundations are crumbling. Okay? You can duck your head and keep playing your video games, but that's the reality of what we're saying. And if nobody else will do it, I'll cry like Jeremiah and say the handwriting's on the wall. Right? And we'll keep ending, we'll keep pews just emptying out. But that's okay. If I have one to preach to that'll believe, we'll continue to take the word of God. So I would, society is falling apart. And we are becoming so individualistic that we don't care about anybody but ourselves. That's the way we even take pictures now. Selfies. Right? camera doesn't point out at somebody else that you love anymore. It points at you who you love. And now disaster, as you know, just like in that time, is now heading from nation to nation, even in our time. Right? Right? You look like you, I don't know if you're scared, you're thinking, you, you don't care, but is it not? Can I at least get a nod or Amen. Is it not disaster spreading from nation to nation and we're seeing civilizations collapse around us and the cry that's continuing to come forth for many places, it seems to be peace. And while peace seems to be noble, it's hollow. It's hollow. When they cry peace and when they cry safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon you. And there is a global upheaval. There's a global cry for peace and safety. And then the Bible says that suddenly in that time, sudden destruction comes. So in that time when the foundations are shaking, as the Bible says, and they're being destroyed, what do the righteous do? Isn't that a good question for us today? If you're righteous here, if you have Christ as your Lord and Savior, isn't that a important question? If the foundations of this world, apart from God, are beginning to crumble around us, then what should we do? What can we do as a people this morning? How do we preserve ourselves from the attack of the enemy that seems to be coming against our homes, against the institution of marriage, against our children, who are, who are, who are a wreck against uh, against it's churches that are a mess. How? What in the world? If the foundations of everything are being being just destroyed, how do we navigate this world that we're living in? And that's what Psalms eleven three says. What do the righteous do when the foundations are gone? Government assuming the position of God, and that's what they're doing now. That's what communism does. They assume the position of God. They tell you what's moral and what's right or what's wrong. And that's what's being pushed on us now. Rather than God's word, they know better for you than you know. And they know better for you than God knows. 
right? And that's and that's what and that and so how do we navigate when when the government begins to become God and 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 they say behold your gods out here and and that's beginning to happen. What do we do when the foundations are gone? When disaster is coming? What is the plan? The well Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being taken at the very time Jeremiah's prophesied and being assimilated into the kingdom. Don't think for one minute that they got courage on the day that they got taken. They had courage beforehand. They determined, because listen to what Daniel says in Daniel 1.8. Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. Daniel purposed in his heart beforehand. Not in a whim second. Oh my goodness, now I'm naked and I'm, and I'm being taken out in chains to another foreign land. What am I going to do? And they didn't decide in that moment. All of a sudden, zap, let me give you a burst of energy. No. Beforehand, they thought about this and they began to contemplate. They believed what Jeremiah was preaching and they made a determination in their heart. This is going to happen one day and when it does happen, as for me and my house, we will stand and we will not bow. Amen? Purpose means they rehearsed it in their heart. They rehearsed it like Richard Wormbrand who when he was coming to America after 14 years of communist prison in Romania under Ceausescu takes little children on the day he leaves to a zoo and they're standing in the lion cages and he begins to say, don't wait. There are people far worse than these beasts. These beasts ate your forefathers. They threw them in Roman Colosseums to the lions. He said, there's far worse than this. It's men and they are going to come and they're going to take you and they're going to come against you. Evil men will wax worse and wax worse. And he said, decide now what you will do in that day. Don't wait till that day if you're going to let the lion eat you or if you're going to bow and say, no, I renounce God and I'll bow to the government, God. No, he said, decide now. And little children who are smarter than Americans had tears in their eyes and said, we will stand for God. Yeah, give a patty cake. Come on. We better know now what we will do. We better know now what we'll do. What do the righteous do? Jeremiah 29, 4-11. He actually gives a level of instruction. He says, don't panic because this is the plan of God. I told you it was going to happen. I told you, Brookside, you have heard messages like this. You may not have a day where we can come in here and meet. You've heard it. You know. Plan now. Prepare now in your heart. I'm not just wasting my breath when I say, get yourself a Bible reading plan. There may be a day you're not sitting in Sunday school. Get yourself a, a prayer plan. Get yourself a family devotion. Learn how to worship God yourself. Jeremiah consoles the congregation. And here's what he says to prepare them. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts. Sounds so different from Americans, I hear. Listen to this. Here's what he's telling them in captivity to do. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses. Here's what I want you to do. 
build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. This is 700 miles away from their homes. They've been taken. They've been, they've been taken out of the land where they're at. And now they're weary. They're broken. They're amongst uh, strangers. And all of a sudden, he says, in this land, I want you to build houses. I want you to live in them. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to eat their produce. I want you to take wives. I want you to have sons and daughters. What do I hear all the time now? By golly, I wouldn't have a son or daughter in this world for nothing. You don't want to bring a a kid into this world. No tell them what we're going to face. Build houses. Have sons and daughters. Marry wives that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. And the first thing he's telling them that he is going to do in the midst of disaster is I can prosper you and multiply you. I can multiply you even in the midst of this captivity, even in this place. I have a wonderful plan for your life. That's what he's telling them. Even in the midst of that place, I want you to keep on living. Look what he goes on to say. But seek the welfare of the city. We got to grow up in American Christianity. We have a real hard time with loving our enemies. We have a real time, hard time forgiving. We have a real hard time doing the hard truths of God's word. Listen to what he says here. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. Uh, you will find in its welfare, you're going to find your welfare. So he says, what is welfare? That's the health, the happiness, the fortune of a person or a group. He's saying, pray for the Babylonians. Pray for the city you're in. Pray for the people around you. Even though, pray, he says, get a mortgage, go to work. He says, seek the welfare of the city. Even though the lunatics are in charge, pray for the lunatics. Pray for the asylum, right? Because it will make it better for you. Pray God's mercy. Pray for the betterment of this city that you're in. Pray for the betterment of the people around you. Pray. Pray for those who persecute you and bless you. Those who hit you on the right side of the cheek, turn to them the left side or the other side. Don't repay evil for evil and insult for insult because that is not the way of a Christian. That is not. Pray for the welfare of the people in this place because that, good morning, is the heart of Jesus Christ. And we must have the heart of Christ in this last day. Listen to what Paul is writing to a young man named Timothy. And here's what he says this. But know this, that in the last times, good times are coming. Right? Right? Good times are coming? Are y'all awake? Has the devil just got y'all lulled to sleep? Good times are coming? No. Look, but know this. In the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of what? Themselves. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be boasters. They'll be proud. They'll be blasphemers. They'll be disobedient to parents. They'll be unthankful. They'll be, that doesn't sound like a great world to me. They'll be unholy. They'll be unloving. They'll be unforgiving. They'll be slanderers. They'll be without self-control. They'll be broody. They'll be brutal. They'll be despisers of good. They'll be traitors. They'll be headstrong. They'll be haughty, arrogant, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power thereof and here's what we don't do in Christianity from such people turn away turn away maybe if we preach the true gospel it would separate the wheat from the goats 
The wheat and the tares and the sheep and the goats. And we know the difference between the two. But we've got everybody assimilated in the church. And we've got tolerance and all this stuff that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we preach the truth, maybe it would be a dividing line so we could tell who is who. From such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now as Jonas and Jambres resisted Moses, so do also these resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconia and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus might suffer persecution, will suffer persecution. They'll hate us. If you really live this book, if we quit playing games in American Christianity and we really live this, we'll be like the people in China. We'll be like the people in Russia. We'll be like the people in Iraq and North Korea and places where when Christianity steps forward, it gets its head chopped off, right? But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. This is what's going to happen in the last days. Deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in all things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and right that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for these last days in every good work. Amen? With such a falling away, and I've never seen such lovers of self as I've seen today. And again, how do we preserve the testimony of God in that kind of culture? How, how do we do it? How, how do we, how, in our homes, how do, we, how do we preserve the testimony of God when our children are going off to these places and being so bombarded by the culture, by Babylon around us and Egypt around us? How in the world do we preserve our children? How do we bring more children into the world and preserve them in this day and time, knowing the things that are coming, knowing the things that are, are ahead of us and that are, that are coming in our schools? I mean, look, and if you don't think they're coming for you in your jobs, just look at what they've done in the schools schools you think they're gonna you think the antichrist spirit is gonna say we got the schools we came into the schools we ransacked the children but now we're not gonna touch the people in the jobs and on the workforce no they're, they're we're marked folks they're coming after us the antichrist spirit is not going to stop until it touches everyone right 
It's coming after everything. The powers of darkness is sweeping us, bringing confusion and utter darkness. But the Lord tells us something through Moses of how we can preserve our families during this time. And it has the answer. And there's six things that I want to give you in closing that are going to tell us how to preserve ourselves in this time that we're living in. If you got your Bibles, look at Deuteronomy 6.1. And this is what God instructed Moses about them going into the land. And here's what he said. Now this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. That you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and all of his commandments which I command you. You and your sons and your grandson all the days of your life. And that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes or on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So here's the secret in this passage of Scripture that Moses gives the children of Israel of how we are going to preserve our families and ourselves in times like the ones that we see Jeremiah prophesying about how are they going to fight, uh, preserve themselves in Babylonian captivity? How are they going to do that for 70 years until they, 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 they get out in a culture that's trying to assimilate them and make them become like they are? How are they going to do that? They're going to take away their Bibles and make them take their Bible. They're going to take away everything and try to, they're going to put in their children. They're going to make them learn their language. They're going to make them forget about Judaism. They're going to make them forget about if you're in Christianity. They're going to make you forget about those things and they're going to try to force on you their gods, their ways, their ideas, their culture, their mindset, and that's what they're doing. And that's what we see in our world today happening in our schools, in our workplaces, on our internet, on our television, in Hollywood, in our churches now, everywhere, right? The enemy's trying to assimilate us into his thinking and into his ideas. How are we going to stay out of that? Well, Moses gives us some insight here to the secret of Israel preserving their walk with God in Babylon. And number one, it was to have word, uh, have their word, uh, have their heart in his word. He says unto them that the word of God, first of all, is to be in your heart. This is one of the ways you are going to preserve yourself in this day and this time. This is why I keep harping on this over and over and over again. You must have the word of God in your heart. That's what he's saying here. Hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. My word is a lamp unto my, your word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. I'll hide it in my heart that I won't sin against you. Uh, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There needs to be that bringing of this book into my heart now every day. That's why we gather together on Sundays. That's why we gather on Wednesday nights. That's why we gather in Sunday school is to get a little bit more of the word or we gather with friends during the week at their tables or on the 
the phone or wherever to get more time into the Word in prayer together. Man shall not live by, by bread. Feed your soul on the Word of God. Because again, there may come a time when we don't have this luxury. I don't know if it'll be five years, ten years. I don't know if it'll be in our life. But there may be a time where we don't have this luxury, even in the good U.S. of A. Right? And I love this country, and I pray for this country, and I pray things turn, but I'm telling you right now, it does not look good. For So we need to pray hard. We need to pray hard for our nation, and we need to pray hard for the Christians in this nation. And, and so, because these people, at one point, after Jeremiah had been talking about this, they were ripped away and taken by force out of this place and to a place they didn't want to go. And when calamity comes, the Bible is saying you need the Word of God in your heart. There's no guarantee if it were to come in here today that I'm going to be with her. God forbid, I hope. We prayed that all along. God, keep us together in these last hours. But look, if they, I can't depend on her Bible reading. Right? I've got, to, I've got to get into the Word of God. When calamity comes, I can't say, Honey, real quick, download it all into me. I've got to get into the Word of God and hide it in my heart. So he says, if you're going to stand in this culture like we have today, have the Word of God in your heart. Now, don't get it like me. After I got into Christianity, I thought I had to read every book in the world, and I thought I had to read 50,000 pages in my Bible, and, 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 and I just got almost loaded down with religion and just bogged down to where I had no joy and that sort of thing. But just get into the Word of God a little bit every day and eat some of the Word of God and know it. Number two, he says, if you want to preserve your family in this, have the Word of God in your heart. Number two, teach it to your children. Teach it to your children. Teach it. Not the school teach. Well, they're not going to teach it. Not even the Christian school teach it. That's good. Not the church. It's not the youth pastor or the, or the children's pastor or the pastor's job. It's your job. Teach your children. You don't become so busy with overtime at the job. Don't become so busy teaching your kid every sport in the world. That's fine, but don't do it. Don't, don't become so busy even making sure they got an education. That's good, but what good is it if they find out they wind up losing their soul and burning in eternal hell? No. We, we, some, some haven't had the best parents spiritually. Some of us haven't been the best parents in this room spiritually, and we can come to the realization and say, we've been a little late to the party but we're coming to the party now we're going to change things amen and we're going to start doing things differently that's what we did in 1994 with our lives we begin to say look we're coming to the party late we're adults now in christianity but we're going to do things differently in our home and we're going to make choices differently we 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 were selfish and we made our own choices and decided what i was going to do with my life and now i'm a bond servant to christ no longer am i going to be governed by my own ways or thoughts, I'm going to be governed by God and by His Word. And we gave ourselves to the Lord to be our master. And that's what we've done. And we've tried to raise our kids. We've tried to teach our kids these things. And he says, teach them to your children because there is a lawlessness that is being unleashed on this society like we've never seen before. And the Bible talks about it, that it's a powerful delusion that's coming that will cause them to end up believing a lie and be damned. And many of our children now believe lies. And you can't convince them otherwise. They're not in these churches. When they hit college, they're gone and they don't come back. And they're believing lies. 
Lies about what once, about what their grandmothers believed. Lies about what this country was founded on. Lies about the truth about this book. They believe lies and they're going to be damned if they don't change and have awakening period. And that's why we have to, this is being released in our world now like wildfire. And that's why we have to get into this book and we have to teach it to our children. Amen. That's how you preserve your family. We live. You teach them the Word. You say, we live according to the Word of God. I had to do that, man. There were many things my kids did not do and get to do. We said, you're not the same as everybody else. It doesn't matter. We're pilgrims and strangers in this land. It says, teach them when you sit in your homes. And that's what we did. You sit them down in the home, not just at some Bible study. You sit them down at the table. You sit them down when you're doing everything you're doing. My wife is a teacher in everything that she does. When she's cleaning house, she's sitting there teaching kids about the Lord. When, she, when she's making the bed, everything she's doing, she's bringing the Word of God in to so many things and folks that's what the Bible tells us when you sit in your homes don't just be stuck on your devices watching television don't become so build, busy building a house that you don't communicate tell them what God's word says amen I'm thankful my parents did this I'm thankful even though we may not have gone deep deep they said did you say your prayers tonight and they may not have been the, the deep prayers I think they were now lay me down to sleep but they took me to church and they built a foundation and I'm so grateful for that. And, and, and uh, it wasn't just a once-off conversation like the birds and the bees. It was something that was continually talked about and it was something continually talked about in our home. It says you must, he says if you want to do this and preserve your family, you must talk to your children about God. Uh, you instigate it. You instigate it. Whether they want it or not, you instigate it. You instigate it. They're your children. They live in your house. Parent them. You don't get them up and let them do what they want to do. Lead them. Lead them to the Lord. You parent them. You instigate it. You say, as for me and my house, we will serve God. We'll serve this God. We'll serve this Lord. Amen? You have to believe it. I believe the country has assimilated you into believing you can't tell your kids anything. Raise your kids. Teach them the Word of God. And talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. When you, that means when you drive your car, when you lie down, when you rise up, you instigate it. Maybe you don't have all the answers. I had somebody call me just a couple nights ago. I said, my kid just asked a question. And he said, I don't know the answer. I told him I had to go to the bathroom. I said, praise God. We'll talk about it. We talked about it. And then they went back and explained it to them. You don't have to have it all figured out. Call, call somebody. Ask somebody. And, and then, then you can just tell them also, hey, I'm new to this thing, but I know one thing. I may not know everything about that book, but I know Jesus Christ changed my life. That's the one thing I know. He came into my life and He changed me. He changed me. And it's a battle, folks, with our children we can't afford to lose. You don't ask them if they're coming to church. You lead them to church. You tell them this family goes to church. When they get grown, they can go do whatever they want to. But as for me and my house, we're going to church. You teach them. You teach them your God is, them, is important enough. You teach them that He comes first. And you'll talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you drive your car, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That, when you, that means before you go to sleep, you, you, you say, hey, wait a minute, we're going to pray. 
We're going to pray, gather the family together, or I'm going to kneel by your bed, or whatever. Or maybe it's a night and we got tests the next day, and they take off running, and you realize you forgot. Hey, stop just a minute before you go upstairs. Let's pray real fast. And you just do a quick prayer. Or maybe like my wife, every day before they got out of the car, when she dropped them out of school, they prayed. They prayed. They had a quick prayer about the day that they were going to. Before you go to sleep, do, do you pray with your children? And when you wake up, do you pray? Do you, do you seek the Lord? Do you teach these things? Are, you, are they on your mind? He's saying, put this whole new routine in your family. If you haven't been doing this, start today. And he's saying, this is how we're going to preserve our families in this culture and in this world that is coming. So the Word of God must be in your heart. You teach them to the children. You teach them when you sit in your house. You teach them when you walk along the road or when you drive in your car. You teach them when you go to sleep and you pray and when you wake up. Uh, and and this, this will that's how you will preserve your family. And then the next thing he says is you bind them or tie them on your hands. That means how you work in light of the Word of God. The way you work is in light of the things you put your hands to do. It's, it's all in light of the Word of God. You tie it around your hands. When I work, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. That means, boss, I'm still going to honor and I'm still going to work hard because I'm not working for Him per se. I'm working as unto the Lord. I have the Scriptures bound up even in my work and I have it between the forehead or the frontlets of my eye. I'm discerning everything through the Word of God. How I discern is in light of the Word of God. In other words, everything is through the lens of this book. Everything is through the lens. It really doesn't matter what I want to do. It doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't really matter what culture says about raising your children or Dr. Spock or some other nut. It doesn't matter. It matters what thus saith the Lord. What does God say about it? What does the Word of God say? And that's what we do. We bind that up in our hands and everything that we put to do in between our forehead and our eyes and our mind and everything that we discern. And then everything through the lens of the Bible. And he says, this shall be an inheritance to you that you give your children. You give them the gospel. You give them the word of God. You don't care. It, big whoop about a 401k. That's fine. Big whoop about a house. Big whoop about a car leaving your family. You're working for things that are going to burn. You're working for things that are just trinkets on this earth. He says this is the inheritance that you need to be giving your family now. And then lastly he says six. Write them on the doorpost of your house. He says, let everybody know this is a Christian home. Let everybody know your home is a Christian home. But John's allowed to watch that. We're a Christian home. But Mary's boyfriend's allowed to sleep over and stay over. We're a Christian home. What, is the, what, what goes on in this house is only what God permits in this word. Right? Right? Quit trying to be the most popular parent in the world and a friend and parent them according to what the Bible says. And he's saying do all of this whether you're in Jerusalem or whether you're in Babylon. 
Whether you're in God's country where the temple is right there or whether you're in captivity. He says, do all of this no matter where you are and you will be preserved. And then Joshua is finally finishing his book. He's led him into the promised land. He's finishing his book. Moses is given all these instructions. And listen to what Joshua ends with. They come into the promised land and he has to write this because there's still enemies in the land. You would think when you come into the promised land that that would be it. You can just rest and go easy, right? That's what I I thought Christianity was all about, but that's not the case. There's still giants in their land. There's still enemies that have got to be conquered in the land. And so John, Joshua is writing in his book where they've come into, and there's still wars to be fought. There's still enemies to fight. And listen to what he says. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. He says, serve the Lord, and if it seems evil for you to serve the Lord, choose Choose you for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served or whether on, on, on that side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, he says, folly or foolishness of the world, you choose it. You want that? Then go for it. But he says, you either put that away and you put the gods away of this world and all the other foolishness and you choose God or you choose that. But he says, for as for me and my house he says we are going to serve the Lord and he's saying if you follow this God will preserve you whether in Babylon or whether you're in Jerusalem and he's saying if you choose and set your mind to determine that you will be okay and folks that's exactly what happened because 70 years later he comes back to those who are in that place waiting and he leads those people out of captivity and brings them back God has preserved the Jewish people in in that land during that time who are following these precepts and brings them right back into their land just like he promised he would do after 70 years of captivity and I got news for you even if this world gets worse and worse and worse and perilous times comes and the things that says the end times are going to come if you will do these things I can tell you this Jesus Christ is going to step out one day soon and very soon God is going to say son go get my children and he is going to take us and take us upward. Amen. Those people who have been in this bondage and captivity of Babylon and he's going to take us home to be with him. What a glorious time and what a glorious day when he carries his bride upwards and out of here. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the word of God. Lord Jesus, I know I didn't do the best of delivering it, but I pray somehow your spirit, God, just makes it find a lodging place into our hearts. And Lord, that we take it and God, we don't just hear it and leave out of this place and do nothing with it, God. I believe these words are spirit and I believe they're life. I believe, God, they can, they can be the difference between preserving us and our family in this last day and us perishing, God. Oh, Lord Jesus, let us, let us take seriously the words of Deuteronomy six, Lord. Let us take your word and let us hide it into our hearts today, God. Let us teach it diligently to, the, to our children and our family, God. Let, let, us, let, us, let us, when we walk, when we sit everywhere that we go, God. Some of us in this room, we know more, God, about Alabama football, and I love it, but we know more about that than we do about the word of God. We know more about, God, uh, fashion than we do about the word of God. We spend more time in the folly of this world. We we, we can memorize a, a, a book about truck parts and figure out how to take a truck apart and put it back together and 
Lord, but we say we can't even understand one book of your Bible, so we give up. But God, we'll spend 10 years on a, on a car trying to rebuild a carburetor. Oh, Father, help us, help us, help us, help us to recognize the importance of your word and of your promises. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.